Hi, I'm Matthew Viriapa, and you're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers, a music podcast from KOSU. On this episode is Gregory Fallis of King Cabbage Brass Band. Tulsa's King Cabbage Brass Band is bringing a taste of Mardi Gras' iconic sound to Oklahoma. They released their self-titled album last October and are playing with acclaimed New Orleans outfit, The Soul Rebels, on Thursday, February 1st at Beer City Music Hall in Oklahoma City. In this episode, hear founder Gregory Fallis talk about the culture of Mardi Gras and New Orleans brass band music and starting his own brass band in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My name is Gregory Fallis. I'm the founder of King Cabbage Brass Band in Tulsa, Oklahoma. What else do you do in the band? Uh, what instruments do you play? So in the band, I play trombone and sousaphone. Um, and then at the school I teach at, I also play piano and guitar. I teach a guitar class and play piano for mass and stuff. I teach at uh, Monte Casino Middle School here in Tulsa. Do your students know that uh, you're, you're in a band? Yeah, I like I try not to promote the band at school um, because it's like I don't want to mix worlds and like buy my CD. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like or buy my merch or, but um, they do know that I have a brass band um, and they they've come to like certain all ages shows. Did you start in school then with like brass instruments, marching band? Yeah, so I uh, went to Edison Middle School um, here in Tulsa. Uh, took from Mr. Smith. He was the band director. It was like, now that I'm a teacher, it sounds crazy. Um, but there's like, you know, 80 kids in a room for beginning band and one teacher. And he had to, and all the kids had, you know, snare drums, baritones, clarinets. Um, and I don't know how he did it, but he somehow wrangled us all into playing music. And I was on baritone for middle school um, and then switched to trombone in high school. And sousaphone, I marched in college at TU. Um, then what was your path with music after graduating? So I went to TSAS and... Um, and what is TSAS? Tulsa School of Arts and Sciences. Um, and had great teachers there. And that's where I kind of like fell in love with music and playing the trombone. And uh, I went to college for it. TU, I studied music education. And then I went to University of Memphis and got a master's degree um in trombone and the last semester i was um supposed to be studying there i got um one of my professors sent me an email that was like the glenn miller orchestra is looking for trombonists so i sent in a video application and then within a a week or two i got a call from the road manager and um went out with them so i was actually doing the last uh semester online while i was um on the road and then I uh, got my master's and um, began teaching after that tour, which was about seven months. Pretty much after graduating, I was, I was figuring that out, um, how to be a classroom teacher, what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, school, obviously like there's no real preparation, like they're like being in it. And then uh, COVID happened um, and I was uh, living in New Orleans at the time and um, just kind of uh, teaching, teaching. Yeah. Uh, Going to jam sessions, uh, meeting musicians, but there wasn't a lot of work there. So uh, I came back here to Tulsa and started the brass band 
And pretty much um, since then, that was May of 2021, I moved back. And uh, that's been like my main focus ever since is just King Cabbage. What made you want to do brass band style music? I love brass band music because um, you get to be like a front man as a trombonist or a trumpet player or a saxophone. Whereas like typically in all my experience, I've been like backup or in the horn section. I feel really like liberated in the brass band to like step out, to take chances, to shine kind of more in the spotlight, just to be able to like uh, learn and, and like, grow confidence that like you can do that is really important because I always considered myself more like a background figure until until I started the brass band and it was like oh no that's not that's just the situation I've been in but in this other situation in the brass band like all of us like we can all really like shine in 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 these shows was it when you moved back to Tulsa that you um saw the opportunity to start a brass band yeah um I had no idea like how people would react I've, I played in a few brass bands in uh, Memphis and like they did really well because no one else was doing it there. Coming to Oklahoma, I just had no idea like how people would react. Just took a chance on it. I thought we might be like playing retirement centers and like busking and just doing random stuff. Um, maybe like once a month. That was like the floor for my expectation. And the ceiling is like, just been totally surpassed on like what I could have ever expected in a kind of country music dominated area, like to, to be able to play brass band music and realize that like a lot of this music is still similar in so many ways, like brass band and bluegrass and rock. It's like, it's all in hip hop. It's like all kind of interwoven into this cool, like quilt of American music that everybody can appreciate. Changes and fears When will they go from here? When will they stop? I believe that they Has brought us here And we should be together babe. But we're not I play it off but I'm dreaming of you I keep my cool So how do you go about starting a brass band then outside of New Orleans? Yeah, I think it takes like studying and humility and like also the patience to educate your band members because I share the stage with some very, very talented individuals, but most of them have never played in this kind of brass band before. So we spend a lot of time playing Rebirth Brass Band in New Orleans street standards and like memorizing them and listening to them and really focusing on like honoring that for the first year that we were in existence that was a big deal and now we're kind of like finding our own sound and it's kind of like we have more freedom to do our own songs and to take take chances and follow our own like ears i guess there was definitely a process of like educating not only like my band members but also like educating like our audience so like what's a second line or I don't know, just what's a brass band? Like we were getting called a horn band a lot. Once people kind of figured it out, it's it's been it's been really great. Is that something you guys keep in mind when you're playing a show? 
that you guys have to kind of educate people on the culture and how brass bands go about kind of doing a show? Yeah, like it's something like I can feel when we show up to a new venue, like these people really don't know what to expect. And I don't say that in like a cocky way, but just that, um, you know, we're definitely coming to party like and people think they're going to go see like a jazz band and man, I've never seen like jazz like that before. It's it's kind of just like you said, like the culture and the spirit of it is like so it's so infectious, this joy that the music spreads it makes people want to get up and dance. And so it's it's always cool to like see a crowd come in and not know really what to expect and then just be like partying and super happy by the end of the night and putting smiles on people's faces like that's it's a really cool feeling. And I try to acknowledge like Rebirth Brass Band and where this music came from. And, uh, you know, just in little tidbits as we play a set, people don't really want to hear a lecture, but I always try to mention like check out Rebirth or we reimagined this hymn um, so that people kind of understand like where this music is coming from as like a lot of shared traditions with other styles of music. And I guess especially as a band that's playing a style of music that's so associated with New Orleans and then taking it out of that city, it must be important to acknowledge that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of support from my friends back in New Orleans and kind of asked like some people, Hey, what do you think about this? Like starting a brass band in, in Tulsa and like the, the responses has been 100% like positive. Like, yeah, man, take it all over the world, like spread this all over the world and just acknowledge like where it came from uh, in New Orleans. It's like the most fire musicians and music in the world. Like there's no recreating that. And there's like, like I say that we're inspired by that because we do our own thing, but there's really no recreating the sound of like a second line in New Orleans. It's just, it's, it's insane. The, the pool, the depth of that um, pool of musicians is so vast and, and so high quality. It's, it's crazy. You put out your first album end of October. What did you want on an album since so much of this music is going to be played in a live environment. How did you go about making those decisions about what to record and how to record it? That was like the key thing. <clears throat> we we recorded the album live. I mean, it sounds like a live album, really. <clears throat> a lot of room sound. We, we did all the horns together. We tracked everything at the same time. So yeah, getting that live energy was a big part of it. I think for the next project we do, uh, maybe trying to like experiment more and post- production and um and overdubs and adding and layering some stuff in but for the first record um well for the very first thing we put out it was totally live at Kane's Ballroom and just one take for everything and for this one uh, we did probably like two or three takes on each tune and then overdub vocals um so yeah we wanted to capture that energy and listen to some podcasts from How Rebirth Brass Band uh the name is escaping me of the producer who I recorded um, Dr. John and Rebirth and so many greats, but studying like how he just recorded the band and then trying to imitate that with uh, Trap at, at Cardinal Song Studio in um, Oklahoma City. With the style of your guys' music, how do you go about finding your style within the language of brass band? It's weird because you have to like brass bandify stuff. And that's like, uh, that's become like common nomenclature in the band is like, we have to brass bandify this, you know, or brass, like if you try to write a brass band song, it's going to sound inauthentic. You know, it's like what I try to do 
um, is just write whatever is in my heart. And then once it's finished and once I feel it's complete, then adapt it to the brass band. And so I might make certain choices because I feel like a certain key will sound better or change a note here or there that I think will sound better um, for a brass band or do or, or arrange it so that it's more characteristic. But um, I try to stay away from like, I'm going to write a brass band song, you know, because that can, that a lot of times will get me into trouble. Um, so we've all been writing music for years and um, we are, we have more and more originals uh, that we're excited to release um, in 2024. What kind of influences do you guys have? You've mentioned those staple kind of brass band artists. Are there any others that people might not expect from you? Yeah, I think uh, Alan Toussaint for me is a huge one, uh, who's another great New Orleans songwriter. Um, the Meters, the Beatles, like Nicholas Foster, our drummer, writes uh, at least half of the stuff we do. I mean, we're, we're um, both writing uh, and he's fantastic. Um, the Beatles is like huge for him. Andy McCormick writes a lot too. Um, and he's always digging into like underground hip hop. And yeah, also like Mac Miller is, and just different hip hop artists like that. Whenever I listen to Rebirth in like the nineties, eighties, nineties, like so much of what they're doing is like also happening in the hip hop world. And it's kind of, um, and even some of the melodies and the hooks are like well-known hooks from hip hop tunes that are like kind of changed or tweaked a little bit. Um, so that has a big influence just on the energy of it. Is there always an instrument that you start off with first? Uh, trombone and piano for sure. That that uh, Fender Rhodes is really great for writing horn voicings. I've found like just the way that um, the notes kind of blend together. It's not super crisp like a piano. It kind of has like uh, a certain vocal quality to it. So I love writing on the roads. That's why it sits in the living room. And it's also just really pretty piece of furniture. But, <clears throat> but yeah, usually that is what I'm, I'm writing stuff on. What is it that you kind of gravitate to first when you start writing? Is it melodies? Yeah, it, it just depends. Like these days I'll try to think of a hook and then just see where that goes. Like I have this one song I was just working on. It's called Don't It Feel Good. And the, the line is, don't it feel good to be the way that you are? And I just thought that was like kind of a powerful message, simple. Like a lot of the brass band tunes that we play are like one line repeated. So it's not like there's not a huge emphasis on the lyrics, but I'll just try to think of like, okay, what message, what's the message? What am I trying to say? And just start with that and then, and then write a bass line. Or a lot of times it's like, bass line, trombone, tenor saxophone, backgrounds, and then trumpet melody. Like just as a really generic, like simplified version of how I can like perceive or conceptualize the music. It's like, okay, bass line, and then trombones and tenor sax playing like the rhythm guitar part. 
and then the trumpet's playing the melody and and see where that goes. Can you go into one of the songs on this new album then? Yeah, for sure. So Stress Test is a great example. Like, yeah, it starts out with the percussion, the groove gets laid down, and then the bass line comes in. You can kind of hear the song being built, like how it's arranged and how it's written. So once the bass line comes in, then the trombones and tenor saxophone. We put a bunch of uh, like Goonies samples in there. I feel like we're kind of a band of Goonies on this journey to like find Blackbeard's treasure. And then the trumpets come in with the melody after that. It's a brass band, we don't have guitars and pianos, but in a way those roles are um, still being played by other instruments. So that's Nicholas Foster's song, and um, it's probably my favorite on the record. How did that one start then? Did Nicholas Foster write that one? Yeah, he's the drummer. Um, so that song started um, because uh, I was stressing him out. <laughs> like, I, it was like, uh, at the time he was, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but as a full-time musician, also the per percussion instructor at Holland Hall here in Tulsa, he was like working mornings, waking up, teaching from like 8 a.m. to 1 p.m and then he'd have rehearsals and then he'd gig at night until like 1 a.m. and do it all again. And um, I think I think it just got to a place where he just, he had to let the teaching piece go. So now he's full-time in music and he's loving it. Um, but yeah, that's basically the idea behind Stress Test. And I have a feeling me hitting him up for so many gigs was like also stressing him out too. Like I was amused for him in some ways in that too, which is fine. We've been friends for like 10 years. So for him, for me to stress him out, it's like, well, it's gonna happen at some point. This one right here. Yeah, the, the drum groove, the bass line are like the most important things. And then it's just kind of like built up like a building from there. What's the use is like a similar formula, basically. I don't want to call it a formula, but those rules are kind of the same. Like the, the drum groove um, is kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's a very danceable groove. It's kind of laid back. The bass line is is very pentatonic, very smooth. 
that was like the first thing, like writing the bass line. And then I put the trombone and tenor saxophone lines on top of that. The trumpets have this like long overarching melody on top of that. That's kind of my process. It's a simple song. I mean, I went to school I went to like, you know, jazz school where they were like, you need to rearm this and like have five million chords and with each with three extensions and there needs to be some kind of altered dominant scale and seventh mode of melodic minor. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's really useful knowledge and I'm so glad I have it and, and, and can use it, um, when, it when appropriate. But uh, in a lot of ways, like the other thing about being in a brass band that's really been liberating is like, I can just play stuff that feels good and not like worry about that, not worried, be worried about like the jazz police coming to like arrest me, you know, because I didn't play the flat nine on a chord that had a flat nine. It's like, I just, I wrote a simple song. It's got like two chords for the most part. Uh, there's another section that has two chords. And then, um, and just thought about like what message I wanted to put out there. At that time, uh, the message was, I just lost a shitload of money in the stock market. So I was really upset about it. So Fortunes of life with no regrets, so don't regret it. And get rich, get rich in things you won't forget like we do. Cause I'm still broke. And it was like the beginning of 2022 after like the big COVID bubble burst. And I was like, I was just like, whoa, it seemed like it, the stock market could go no way but up for like the better part of my adult life. And then COVID happened and it was scary. But then after a while, it was like, oh, we're still just everybody is if you have any money in there it's just gonna become more money and then that turned around really quickly i was in kind of a dark place personally and just wanted to think about what was most important in my life and what else besides money adds value to my life and then just realizing that there's so many things and so that's why it's called what's the use What's the use in like, I guess, just watching a ticker go up and down? Like what's the use in, in all this greed? I wanna be rich in 
experience in um, relationships. Did you write the song with those feelings in mind? Or is that something that you found? Um, I'm feeling these things and this song that I'm writing is kind of reflecting that. You know, I definitely wrote the song with those feelings in mind, mm -hmm. which doesn't always happen. I mean, sometimes you write a song and you don't know what it's about at all, you know, and then you figure out later. But um, like it's some kind of Freudian thing. But this song, I was like, yeah, I need to work through this. This is some heavy shit. And I was really, I was really scared, like just personally scared for my future um, because, yeah, I got a little risky, but, but it worked out, you know, um, it's all good. And, uh, you know, and I took my lumps and I learned a couple things and about investing yeah. wisely. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, so that, that song was definitely like, um, was, was pretty intentional. Yeah. Were you just like at the keyboard, um, looking at Robin Hood? <laughs> yeah basically yeah like oh shit yeah exact yep that was that was it uh no fidelity and i found like through that time the band and my students at school were like the most rewarding things i want to ask about kings and queens it feels like such a good example of that hip-hop influence especially since you had mike d yeah, Mike D's on it. That tune is uh, an original song about ending a long-distance relationship that went on for possibly too long, arguably too long. I don't know. It was a four-year relationship, and like two of the years were long-distance on and off at different times. Like the tour I went on, but it was always like we're working through it, you know? It, it was a good relationship. It wasn't... You know, it wasn't like a toxic thing, but at a certain point, you know, you just have to kind of like accept that this is, this is not going to work. Like if you truly want what's best for the other person, at least in my situation, there was no like foreseeable end to that uh, long distance component. So, and I got dumped. You know, there's no such thing as like a mutual breakup, I guess. But, um, so I got my ass dumped. But it was still like, you know, I wasn't mad about it. I got, I understood, you know? And so that's what the song's about. Did you write that song 
being a hip hop type of song? Yeah, it was because it was brass band inspired. It was like I'm gonna write a song that goes super hard and like in your face brass, and then so much of that. Of of the rebirth of the hot eight is is hip hop. It's the same thing. It's just different instruments. The verse that Mike D put on it is so good. We usually play a saxophone solo over that part live, and um, and so we hit up Mike D, our saxophone player, plays in his band, Mike D and the Stone Trio, and uh, he just like, yeah, he just crushed it. The verse is amazing. I mean, I wrote the song on sousaphone, and usually when I start on sousaphone, like I play piano a lot, but when I start on sousaphone or start on trombone, it can be a better product or a more like brass band sounding product, less than like you know what sounds like a pop song with horns replacing the instruments. It's it sounds more true to that. So it's definitely something I want to do more. Um, like starting on the sousaphone, but it's just, it's such a, like, it, it's, you can't play 10 notes, you can only play one note. And it's, a, you know, it's, um, it's like a sub octave. So it's, you can't really hear all the different stuff that's happening at once. It's harder to conceptualize, but um, yeah, writing it on the sousaphone definitely was, I think, pretty key in how that song came out differently than a lot of the other ones. I was gonna ask about your cats, because they're featured on a lot of the merch for your band. Yeah, Curtis uh, just jumped up here. He's a good boy. Um, and Peanut Butter, also a good cat, a good girl. Um, they are my babies, and um, they are featured on the single cover and shirt for Kings and Queens. Um, and they're definitely not supposed to be on the counter. Um, so, <laughs> sorry about that. How are you guys writing then? Are you guys writing everybody's part? Typically, yeah. Uh, yeah, typically. Um, I was, in fact, I was just doing that before you came over. Like, we have music notation software called Sibelius. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll just like write parts and um, basically pass it out. So, the first time we read through something, we'll take notes. Like, the band will be like, I think we should do this. I think we should do this. And then for the next rehearsal, we'll, we'll bring in a revised chart. But you also have to know the individual players. And uh, I've heard people talk about that a lot, like uh, for a great composer, like a great jazz band composer like Duke Ellington, like he didn't write trumpet one, trumpet two, trumpet three, and trumpet one was always the high note and trumpet two was always the middle and trumpet. It wasn't like, it wasn't as, as academic as how we kind of have it these days where, you know, um, the parts are always split like that. Uh, you know, we definitely write for the specific people in the band and um, getting to know the musicians in the band and like their strengths has um, definitely helped that process. We've done some like writing, some like collective writing sessions too. Um, those are a lot of times less efficient, but 
what we get out of them is like really cool and really pure. So, but yeah, most of the time, like we're arranging on software and then people read it on pads and then we'll start to memorize it over time. What what would you say has been the most collaborative song where you really felt like we're all kind of really putting ourselves into this? Man, that's a good question. Let me look at the track list here. Um, a lot of these, like one person or two people arranged, um, the most collaborative, maybe put your right foot forward. I mean, that's a new Orleans standard that we reimagined, but, um, people had a lot of like different ideas about what to do in the recording. I mean, as far as like these songs though, they're all collaborative because like on what's the use that we already talked about, for example, like a lot of those trumpet parts I didn't write the, the responses, you know, or whatever solo part, like, or harmony, like um, the players will just hear and like add that maybe like formally in terms of what the page says originally, um, it wasn't super collaborative, but like how it comes out, like, or F and P for example, like that song has a lot of ad lib has a lot of like, like the trumpet solo and, and just how it all came out. was like, you know, people making decisions about their part. So um, that's kind of where a lot of the collaboration comes in. Yeah. And F and P is an interesting song. I, <laughs> I didn't expect what the F and P stood for when I queued it up with the subject matter. It, it makes sense that there's a lot of improvisation. Yeah. I mean that. So yeah, that song it's like shockingly wholesome too, in my humble opinion. <laughs> what do you want? I want food and pussy. How come? It's just the way God made it. All right. I guess it must be okay. Bop, 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 Like the way I see it and the way the simplicity of the song, the honesty of the song, I just, I think it's really funny and really wholesome in a weird way. That's originally a song by Dan Reeder that uh, is just, it's a beautiful record. I wanted a lot of this stuff to not be like overly complicated harmony and and really dense, but to be like palatable and accessible to a lot of people. So that Dan Reeder tune is just that. I mean, it's acoustic guitar, two chords and vocals, just him. What do you want? I want food and pussy. How come? It's just the way God made me. Is it all right? I guess it must be okay. Ooh, bop, 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 shang, lang, lang, lang. What do you want? It sounded like the perfect brass band song listening back to it. And that's kind of been a, like one of the funnest things about writing and arranging for, for King Cabbage is like we will just like hear a song in public and just look at each other and be like, brass band? Went to the doctor and the doctor said oh. The only thing that we can do is cut off your head oh. we'll Send it to Berlin where I have a friend oh. It looks like it's supposed to be in mail back again Say, oh, what do you want? I want food and pussy Yeah, I did not know that it was a Dan Reader song 
but it makes a lot of sense because I've listened to his, some of his other songs and they're very like straightforward and to the point and yeah. It's like very comforting too. There, there's just no dressing up. That's just the feeling. Like when you listen to it, I can relate to this because it's just so straightforward. That's just, just how I'm feeling right now. Yeah, it's so, it's so great. It's so great. Um, and yeah, so Nicholas arranged that one and he's, he showed me that record when we were in college. We actually were roomed together in college. And uh, yeah, there's so many on there. The one about standing in the kitchen and watching it rain. There's nothing, there's no rhyme or reason. There's nothing to explain. I just love to stand in the kitchen and watch it rain. It's like, oh, okay. Here in the kitchen and watch it rain. Like that, that's sort of a comforting uh, message. It doesn't say much, but you kind of get it and you relate to it. And um, that's kind of why I said FNP is more of a wholesome song than I think people realize. I will stand here by the window here in the kitchen and watch it rain. How did you go about choosing what songs to go on this album that were like covers? The ones that we like that we arranged and felt good about. I mean, we recorded this album after a year. This was our, we, we so that we recorded in July of 2022. We started in June of 2021. So that gave us a year to like, you know, kind of just pick our favorite, our favorite arrangements that we felt were the most creative because there's like some stuff that like the new Orleans stuff that we just, everybody plays those songs. So we just play them, you know, and, and they're fun and everybody should know them. Like that, that can fill up a good part of our set. But for the for the stuff we record, like we want it to be us. And so even like right foot forward, which or put your right foot forward, it's the last track. It is like it that is a, a New Orleans brass band standard. But we added like a, a coda at the end, like an outro section that's like a couple minutes long, where we kind of hit a couple other tunes on the way out, and it sort of kind of has our own personality on it. And so for the next uh, project that we do, it'll be almost all originals, I'm excited to say. So it'll be What is it to put your own spin on some of these songs? Do you guys feel like you found your kind of own identity or uh, your own stamp of what brass band music is to you? Yeah, I mean, we definitely sound different than pretty much any brass band I've heard. And so that's that's cool to me. Uh, and just continuing to like refine that and make that better is what I'm excited about for the next project. But we, we, it's just, it's feel good music. Like that's our mission um, at the end of the day. And I was talking about this with Nicholas 
you know, I don't want to try to write a brass band song. I want to just write a song that I hear and that I feel that I like. And, but it's kind of like you have to, when you're in a brass band, you have to like party. You know, it like has to be a party. Or at least I want it to be. I mean, that's kind of our mission is to bring people together, to spread joy, to, to, to make people smile and dance. So it's like, like Kings and Queens, for example, it's like, that is a, it's a pretty sad song about like the end of a four-year relationship, but it still like sounds like a party and it still sounds like something that can uplift you and maybe take the situation that you're in and put a different spin on it so that it feels good. And so that's kind of like our vibe and our mission and it, he was like, yeah, it's kind of like you have to choose what party you're going to have. Are you going to have a breakup party? Are you going to have a, a dance party? Are you going to have a love song party? But everything kind of revolves around that main function or mission statement of the band. It's like, let's have a good time. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about uh, Never Gonna Give You Up and why you decided to, to put that song on this album. It's just kind of funny. I really like the arrangement. Like, I think, I kind of think it goes hard. That's my arrangement. There was a, a few times we're like, should we do this? Why the hell not? Yeah. You know, like, why not? Let's just do it. I mean, it's, we had, we had fun playing it and it actually just, like, especially live, it just kind of hits. There's no, I guess, rhyme or reason besides um, we just had a good time playing it. I was going to ask, um, you guys have only been playing like two and a half years. Do you have a favorite memory of uh, playing a live show? Okay, I've got a top five list. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> um, that... Top, no, this, sorry. Oh, my bad. This is a top five most ridiculous gigs list. <laughs> uh, the, uh, this one, okay, this this ridiculous isn't necessarily bad, um, but it can be bad, judging by some of these. But um, yeah, number two, I'm not going to say number one, because that one was a top, that was the most ridiculous and worst gig I've ever played. Um, <laughs> thankfully, not with King Cabbage, though. Okay. Um, <clears throat> number two was a King Cabbage gig. Uh, we... We got called by the BOK Center to help them announce Lizzo was coming to Tulsa. So we arranged um, Juice and uh, About Damn Time, two of her songs, uh, for the brass band, which we ended up playing live and are super fun. And then we like got on top of the BOK Center and played them while they videoed. And there's like all these skylights on top of the BOK Center, and they're like a couple of them were out. So there's just like these giant holes like in the roof, and like the wind was blowing, and it was about this time of year, so it was like pretty cold. And um, yeah, we were on the news just playing Lizzo on top of the BOK Center. It was pretty, pretty ridiculous. Awesome. <laughs> we also had another uh, top five most ridiculous gig where um, we went to Arkadelphia, Arkansas to play a wedding for this family that owned a summer camp. So um, it's like a massive summer camp. 
And so we were like in this tree house that like goes up like five stories and like lining the the steps and playing um, the turtles. Uh, what's the what's the turtle song? Uh, me and you and you and me. While the bride like walked down this massive treehouse, so that was that was pretty ridiculous. And then we paraded them from the treehouse through the summer camp to their backyard. It's interesting to see how arms spread wide open. The 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 city of Tulsa and a lot of Oklahoma that has gotten to hear you has embraced you guys. Like the city of Tulsa is really embracing you guys as a as a band. It's been cool, yeah. Like, um, I, I'm extremely grateful that people have embraced us and supported us. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's more than I could have ever hoped for, for sure. So we're going to continue to try to give back. Uh, we have some summer camps um, that we're going to be doing next year. We did our first summer camp last summer called Brass in the Ballpark, um, where we took a bunch of high school kids from around the area, taught them how to play this music, and then they performed at the uh, Tulsa Drillers baseball game um, two nights. And it was a two-week camp. Most of the kids were on scholarship. And so we're excited to do more of those. I guess I just want to ask about how music plays into Mardi Gras and that, that kind of culture. Well, yeah, Mardi Gras is basically like a music festival. I mean, they have battles and high school bands that are just constantly running. Um there's nothing like being in New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Um, but yeah, for us, I mean, it's about getting the lead out, I guess, you know, um, like having a good time partying, um, but also kind of um, doing it with a purpose. Like it's not just a celebration just to get loaded and eat a bunch. Uh, it's, it's a, it, it is a celebration with the, with a purpose to um, remember like what's important in life, um, who is important in life, what kind of person you want to be um, to not forget that because, you know, after Mardi Gras, then comes Lent and um, you know, you're supposed to give something up and you're supposed to be more focused. And that's kind of the, the reason for the season. And um, I think for as crazy as Mardi Gras can get, it's it's really important to remember that we're we're happy to try to make Mardi Gras more of a thing here in Oklahoma and carry on that tradition. And where can people expect to see you play during Mardi Gras? We're going to be at uh, Beer City um, Music Hall in Oklahoma City, opening up for the Soul Rebels on Thursday, February 1st, which... The Soul Rebels, if you don't know, are the top brass band in New Orleans right now. They're crushing it. They just put out, uh, well, they put out an album a few years ago that just features so many high-profile artists. Um, it's really an innovative approach to a brass band album. Uh, I would recommend everybody go listen to it. They've been doing it for decades. So we're really honored uh, to be opening for them and to get to meet them.
how did you react when you heard that you were going to be opening for them? How how would you react if you were like your first day of middle school? Like I don't know, just scared, excited, honored, scared, intimidated, but like I I, I don't know them personally. I <clears throat> I follow the trombonist Big Paul on Instagram. He follows me and he's he's been sweet and supportive a couple times just in comments, but I mean those guys are basically who I'm trying to be like is is the Soul Rebels. Um, they're fantastic. For us to play with them and for Chad at Beer City to include us in the show um, and ask us to open is a huge honor and we feel very grateful. And then, yeah, so that's February 1st. We'll have some more shows announced on our website, kingcabbagebrass.com. That was Gregory Fallis of King Cabbage Brass Band. To find a full list of the songs featured in this episode and more info on King Cabbage Brass Band, go to ksu.org. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU and Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. I'm Matthew Variapa.